Hello and welcome to Catholic Answers Live. I'm Cy Kellett, your host. Got a great, uh, great show for you uh, today. Second hour, if you are, oh, maybe one of those folks whose kids have wandered from the church or you are concerned that they might uh, wander from the church or might have, uh, we've got two very fine guests who have a new uh, book out called What Would Monica Do? It's about the modern uh, struggle of parents whose children have left the church or may leave the church, and some ideas, some solutions for you. This hour, we're going to do some uh, biblical apologetics, using Scripture to do apologetics with John Martinoni. Uh, before we do that, though, I do want to say thank you to everyone who supported us over the last three days. Uh, if you heard uh, any of what of the work we were doing over the last three days, you know it was a, a little bit of a uh, struggle, and we we came up a bit short. Give me a number, Darren. How, how short did we come up? When, what did you say? 50... About fifty thousand dollars short, but uh, we do have uh, ways of uh, working to make sure that we can keep doing what we're doing for the next three months. Uh, so we'll 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 work we'll work around the shortfall, uh, so to speak. But mainly, we're just extremely grateful for all those who did support us because it is tough times right now. Everybody's having tough times, and uh, there's absolutely no reason why we should be uh, exempted from that. Uh, we thank you, and we thank the Lord that we get to keep doing uh, what we're doing. John Martinoni is the founder and president of the Bible Christian Society and Apologetics and Evangelization Apostolate that's really reached out all around the world. Uh, for 17 years, he hosted the EWTN radio program Open Line. He's currently, I, I believe, the director of evangelization for the Diocese of Birmingham in Alabama. Uh, John Martinoni, thanks for being here with us. It is so good to be with you. Uh, did I get that right? You're the director of the evangelization? I am. I am. Uh, well, man, good for them. They did good getting you there. Uh, it's um, it's quite an atmosphere to do evangelization in these days, isn't it? I mean, on the one hand, uh, there's lots of work to do. On the other hand, there's lots of work to do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's just... Uh, um, you know, you, you never know if what you're doing is actually making effect. Well, I won't say you never know, but yeah. you rarely know if what you're doing is actually having an effect. But every now and then, because I'm fortunate enough to have my email newsletter, and I re do reach a decent number of people. Every now and then I, I hear somebody say, you know, I heard you say something in one of your talks that started me investigating the Catholic Church, and it led, you know, with by them talking to some other people and reading some materials, maybe going to Catholic.com, led them to the Catholic Church. And so just have it playing a small role even in somebody's conversion to the Catholic Church or coming back to the Catholic Church is just, uh, it, it just makes you feel so good and so privileged and, and humbled. Uh, it, it, I, well, um I'm glad you're humble, but uh, you wouldn't have to be, given all the accomplishments. I mean, I know many people know uh, John Martinoni from EWTN television and radio and, and many, many other places. And and one of the things you do uh, as the founder and president of the Bible Christian Society is you use Scripture to explain uh, and invite uh, people to uh, the Catholic faith. Absolutely. That's you know, when I came back into the church in the early 90s, not, not from Protestantism or anything, but just from what I call living a, a world-class heathen lifestyle, um, I came back here in, in Alabama, where we're 3 to 4 percent Catholic. And as people would realize, uh, as I was working at the bank, in finance is my, my background, 
And people would see me, let's say, at lunch, make the sign of the cross. Oh, he's Catholic. Well, the Baptists would start coming up to me, the Church of Christ folks. Why do Catholics do this? Why do Catholics do that? And I'm like, I don't know. What are you asking me for? (laughs) Well, uh, you're Catholic. Oh, yeah, okay. So it made me go and have to do my research. But I realized very quickly they don't care what the Pope says. If you're Protestant, they don't care what Vatican II says, what Vatican I says, what any council says. Where is it in the Bible? So I had to learn how to answer the questions and the attacks on the Catholic faith from the Bible. And so that's why I do what I do, and most of my materials and talks center around, here's how you explain the Catholic faith to Protestants using the Bible. Uh, The number is 888-318-7884. If you'd like to get on the line and ask John Martinoni a question, uh, whether you're Catholic or not, 888-318-7884. Do you do some fascinating things uh, with Scripture, using it to explain and defend uh, the Catholic faith? Um, And you use the the prodigal son in in a very interesting way. For example, if I were to ask you, uh, the, you know, the, and something that we might not even to think to ask about the prodigal son, if I were to say to you, was the prodigal son saved before he left his father's house, what would you say? I would say yes, because here's, and, and here's the thing, is that before he left his father's house, he's a member of the family, you know, and if you're a member of the family, and, and the father in this instance is is analogous to God the Father, and before you, if you're in God's family, if you're in God's house, then you can't get there unless you're saved, according to Protestant theology. So that's why I, I'll ask Protestants, was the prodigal son saved before he became the prodigal son, when he was still in his father's family, before he asked for his inheritance? And a lot of them they're like, what? What, what are you asking? They, they don't, you know, and yeah. I said, was he saved? He's in his father's house. If you're in God's house, are you saved? Yes. You can get him to most of the time say yes. Then I said, okay. Then he left his house. He was given his inheritance, which for a Christian, our inheritance from God is our, our, our salvation. He's given his inheritance, and he goes and squanders it through what? Sinful living. And then he realizes, you know, I have sinned against, you know, my father. I've sinned against God. I need to repent and come back and ask my father for his forgiveness. And when he's coming back, you know, what happens? Well, his father sees him far off, and he says, uh, he says, you know, and this is um, Luke 15, verse 24, he says, For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. And so I use this verse, this, this story of the prodigal son, to talk to Protestants about their once saved, always saved doctrine, which that's not a universal Protestant doctrine, but it, it's many evangelicals, Baptists, etc., non-denominationalists, they believe in once saved, always saved. That once you're saved, you can't ever lose your salvation. But I show them. I said, "Well, you just said the Protestant son was saved in his father's house. So saved means he's alive spiritually. But then the father here, who again represents God the Father, says, "For my son was dead and is alive 
again. So he's alive, saved, dead, unsaved, alive again, saved again. Just like the Catholic Church teaches can happen to any given individual. And it has uh, caused people to pause and really think about what it is they believe and why they believe it. Uh, again, our number is 888-3187-884. Using the Bible, using Scripture, the, the words of Scripture, to defend, to explain, to expound on, to share the Catholic faith. That's what John Martinoni does. If you'd like some help doing that, you are very welcome to call. 888-318-7884. I know we got folks on the line, but I think we'll take a quick break, and we'll, we'll be right back with John Martinoni and your questions right after this on Catholic Answers Live. Catch Catholic Answers Live anytime at Catholic.com. Underwriting for Catholic Answers Live is provided by Real Estate for Life. Real Estate for Life connects home buyers and sellers to real estate agents while supporting pro-life organizations. On the web at realestateforlife.org. Are you a coffee drinker? If so, you can now enjoy a coffee roasted to perfection by the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming. Delicious Mystic Monk coffee is roasted and prepared by monks in a hidden cloistered monastery and is available in over 25 varieties. All Mystic Monk coffees are works of perfection and labors of love. For more information on how to purchase Mystic Monk coffee, visit mysticmonkcoffee.com. That's mysticmonkcoffee.com. How are you listening to EWTN Radio right now? Have you ever wished you could listen on a local radio station? Maybe our Lord is speaking to your heart to help make that happen. Don't let a lack of experience hold you back. Find out how you can help start a Catholic radio station where you live. Powered by the truth of the church and EWTN's dynamic radio programming. Email Steve at this address, radio at EWTN.com. Welcome back to Catholic Answers Live. I'm Cy Kelly, your host. So happy to be just giving out one phone number today. 888-318-7884. Some things are very nice when they're over. And uh, fundraising is one of them. John Martinoni is here with us uh, this hour. You know him from Open Line on EWTN or maybe from his many books or many of the other things that he's uh, done. Uh, You you worked um, on the... um, on the the Jesus, uh, now I can't remember the name of it, <laughs> so I just called it the Jesus thing, uh, where you were in the, the Holy Land on the videos with... Uh... Actually, no, I did not. Oh. I mean, talked about with uh, uh, Jerusalem... Uh, um, uh, <laughs> now I'm having a... Well, I, okay, that's all right, because I got you, I thought you were in the... the uh, I, I got myself confused. With and Steve then, Ray... <laughs> no, I was thinking of with, with Ascension Press. Um, oh, no, no. No, okay. Some right. other good-looking, bald-headed guy. Oh, oh, yeah, no. Uh, it, yeah, that's not not you. No, because this guy was not good-looking at all. So that clearly oh, was no. not See, no. there you go. Yeah. There you go. I'm sorry. I got myself confused. Uh, the number is 888-318-7884. We're talking 
apologetics using the scripture, apologetics for the Catholic faith uh, using the Bible. If you've got questions in that regard, uh, whether you're Catholic or not, you're welcome to call 888-318-7884. I think we'll head to Peoria, Illinois. David in Peoria, Illinois, listening on Catholic.com. Thanks for waiting, David. Go ahead with your question for John Martinoni. Thank you. Yeah, I'm a Protestant who's learning a whole lot about the Catholic faith, and I'm very open to it. I'm trying to read my way into the Church, and that's made all of my Protestant friends want to know where it's all found in the Scriptures, as you said. Yeah, right. And the other day, for most of the arguments I could think of, but the other day they asked me about the sacrament of confession, and my mind just had a blank. And I realized it's been a while since I read up on it, so if you could refresh me on that, I'd appreciate it. Sure, David. In the first place a lot of people will go is actually the second place I'll go, I usually go, but I'll give that one first since this is the most common one you'll hear from a Catholic. And it's in John 20, beginning, uh, you know, it's the night of Jesus' resurrection, and he appears to the apostles behind the closed doors. And he says to them, uh, he said, peace be with you. This is verses 21 to 23. Jesus said to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Well, here's the thing. How can you forgive or retain someone's sins? unless they are confessing their sins to you, unless you know what their sins are. And also, he says, uh, excuse me, at the beginning of that little uh, phrase there, or or his little, uh, uh, what he says to the apostles, he says, as the Father has sent me. That's a very interesting phrase, because where I usually start when I'm talking about confession is in Matthew chapter 9. And this is the story of the, the paralytic that's carried to, to Jesus by some friends, and he can't get into the house where Jesus is because it's so packed, and there, people are pouring. I mean, it's, the crowd is, is outside of the house even. So they go up to the roof, cut a hole in the roof, and lower him down to Jesus. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven, and the Pharisees go crazy because they say, who can forgive sins but God alone? And in verse 6 of Matthew 9, it says, But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Well, okay. The Son of Man was sent by the Father with the authority on earth to forgive sins. Jesus says he's sending out his disciples, his apostles, as the Father has sent him. How did the Father send him? With the authority on earth to forgive sins. And in case they don't get it, he says, whosoever sins you forgive are forgiven them. Whosoever sins you retain are retained. But then it goes on in verse 8. You know, he, he tells the paralytic, rise, take up your, your mat and go home. He rose, went home. In verse 8 of Matthew 9, when the crowd saw it, they were afraid and they glorified God who had given such authority to men, plural. What authority? the authority on earth to forgive sins. So those are the two big verses that I go to. And then also James 5.16, which says, confess your sins to one another. Well, 
you know, I mean, David, should I just start confessing my sins to you? No. no. Why, why would I do that? You have no power to forgive my sins. So those three verses, you put those together, and it's a very strong biblical argument for Catholic teaching on the confession of sin. So, uh, David, how's that strike you? Good. Thank you very much. Yeah, I I was trying to remember the one of the paralytic, and I couldn't remember. Uh, I mean, I couldn't remember the one on the paralytic. I just remembered the apostles, and of course they immediately say, yeah, but that was just the apostles. That didn't get handed on. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, well, that's where you ask them. So that was say very it didn't get then. handed on, you, say, you, you ask them, say, well, where does it say it didn't get handed on? You know, yeah, the and then I point them to Isaiah 53. As well, right? Yeah, what? yeah. I, I don't know. But so, what's okay. Isaiah fifty-three? What's there, David? That's the one for um, the Davidic kingdom with the. Uh, I can't think of the word of it, but basically the prime minister. Oh um, and, right, so when You're Christ gave the keys to Peter, it was that. And for that office, you would have someone who that office would always have that passed on to the others, and hence that gets noticed in First yeah, Clement that's, that's in early actually church I, writing. Isaiah chapter 22. Uh, 20, well, thank you. Well, David, uh, thank you for the call. You said you're trying to read your way into the Catholic Church. I say keep going, uh, read your way in, and maybe there's a book that we could send you that would be helpful. Uh, maybe uh, the early church was the Catholic Church, or why we're Catholic. Why don't you, Edgar, why don't you ask David? Uh, which of those he'd like, and, and uh, we'll send it to him. And I hope we get to hear from you again, David. That's exciting that you're uh, working your way towards full communion. Uh, I'm going to go to Caleb now in Lincoln, Nebraska, listening on Spirit Catholic Radio. Caleb, thank you for your call. Go ahead with your question for John Martinoni. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Um, I was listening to your explanation of the prodigal son and how it relates to once saved, always saved earlier in the show. And as yeah. a former Protestant myself, I, I could imagine a Protestant asking, well, how can we say that he was saved before he inherited his inheritance if his inheritance itself was salvation? So how do we square that? Well, you, you can square it with the fact that he's in his father's house. Could you ever say, could anyone ever say, well, an atheist is in his father's house, is a member of his father's family, is a member of God's family. No. And so the inheritance here, he's already living in his inheritance in the father's house. He's just saying to his dad when he says, give me my inheritance, he, he, what, he's, what that's signifying is he's saying to his fa father, someone saying to God the father, you are dead to me. I, I reject you. You are dead to me. Give me my inheritance. And it's not, it's not necessarily a linear timeline there. This is just, it's an analogy. And any analogy using human terms and human situations to God is, it suffers. It, it, you can't ever have a perfect analogy because we just, our language is limited to, to describe God and the things of God. So basically all that's saying is he's in the Father's family. He's a member of God's household. He rejects God and then goes off and sin, through sinful living, he squanders his inheritance, which is eternal life. And so um, then he says, hey, I need to repent. 
uh, you know, I'm sorry, I am repenting, I need to go and ask for my father's forgiveness. And the father says, yes, you're forgiven. But, but again, the key phrase there, he's alive again. Well, that means he was alive, then he was dead, now he's alive again. And in spiritual terms, alive, dead, alive means saved, unsaved, saved again. Does that help at all? Yeah, that's fair. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Caleb. Thanks very, very much. Appreciate the call. John Martinoni's our guest. Biblical apologetics is our topic, and we've got had some wonderful calls. If you have questions in this regard, as, as I said, whether you're Catholic or not, you're welcome to call. 888-318-7884. Uh, Tracy in Buffalo, New York, listening on the Station of the Cross is next. Hi, Tracy. There with us? Hi. Yep, I'm here. All right. Go ahead with your question for John Martinoni. So I have a friend that I work with, and she's that, you know, I just read the Bible, and I only have a relationship with Jesus, that's it. And today we were speaking about holy water, and she has she just doesn't believe in that at all. She just believes the Holy Spirit will take care of everything and her relationship with Jesus and the Bible, that's it. So I, I don't know, is there anything in the Bible that talks about holy water? Oh, there is. And... Um... I can't think of the verse right offhand, but uh, there is a verse in the Old Testament that talks about holy water. It talks about, you know, you need to, how to get the holy water, uh, what, what, it's, what it's, in other words, what it's made of. And I cannot think of the verse right offhand, but if, if, uh, if you keep listening... Is it, in, is it in the Book during, of Numbers? I think so. Uh, and, and if you guys, can, somebody can look it up real quick. Um, uh, I, I can during the break, but uh, it, it is definitely, Tracy, in the Bible, in the Old Testament. If, if you just go to any, any, any search, just say, Holy Water, Old Testament, you'll get, get the verses. Um, and, and like I said, I'll, I'll look it up here when we come to our next break, and, and, and if, if somebody hasn't already done so, and I'll, I'll put it out there on the airwaves, okay? Uh, people are telling me uh, uh, verse 5—no, uh, uh, chapter 5, verse 17 of the book of Numbers. Does that sound— 5.17. That sounds, yes, that sounds very—hang on, one seven. One second. 5.17. And he shall offer the ram as a sacrifice, the priest, uh, well, oh, that's verse, um, that's chapter 6, I'm sorry. Uh, verse 17, yes, and the priest shall take holy water in an earthen vessel and take some of the dust that is on the floor of the tabernacle and put it into the water. So some of the dust from the tabernacle, holy dust, in other words, and, and holy water. So it's right there, Numbers 5, uh, verse 17. Thanks to the crack research staff at Catholic Answers. <laughs> Tracy, does that sound good to you? Yeah, how do I tell her how they do it today, though? How they do it today, it's, it basically you take some water and, and the priest blesses the water. And, and okay. that's essentially what happens, is the priest who has the authority of the Church, which is the authority of Jesus Christ, blesses the water, and, and it becomes holy water at that point. Okay. All right. Thank you. Perfect. I appreciate it. Tracy, thank you very, very much. Uh, that's, that's thank a lot of, you. 
I, I really like, I love the questions. I, and it's a lot of uh, Catholics who have a question that they want to answer for a Protestant friend. If you are a Protestant person, we've had a couple, and uh, you're welcome to call as well. We're doing Biblical Apologetics with John Martinoni. 888-318-7884 is the number. Going to Horizon City, Texas. Susan, listening to EWTN on Channel 130, Sirius XM Satellite Radio. Susan, go ahead with your question for John Martinoni. Yeah, good afternoon, gentlemen. Good afternoon. Okay. So good afternoon. I need to know if, if, my, if my response to some of my Protestant friends really fair way. So when we talk about... Uh, you know, if, uh, okay, on Pentecost Sunday, uh, Jesus told his, his disciples, specifically his disciples, to go forth. So those were our first bishops. Uh, when he was on the Mount of Beatitudes, he spoke to the multitudes and taught other lessons. So my Protestant friends say that because they are in the Spirit, because they are saved, they can forgive each other's sins. And and my response was, no, that it, it can't be like that, because he didn't preach it like that. Nothing he preached was by accident, and who he preached to was by accident. Therefore, he spoke to those specific disciples. And they say, well, we're disciples. I said, not in the same sense as the, as, as the teaching on the mount. Those he told to everybody. But this was very specific, and those are our bishops. And that's why, and they went forth and they anointed other men, and that's why we have this lineage, and that's why we go to a priest to confess. Susan, we're right at the hard break, so I'm going to take this break, and then we'll let John, Mon John Martinoni uh, respond right after this on Catholic Answers Live. Catholic Answers Live. The recent decision by the U.S. Supreme Court to overturn Roe v. Wade was a monumental victory for the pro-life movement. But the fight is far from over. With our new booklet, Why We're Pro-Life, we have produced the perfect tool to prepare you to have peaceful and convincing conversations to shed light on the truth about human life from conception to natural death. Catholic Answers is printing millions of copies of this booklet, and we plan simply to give them away. You can help us in two ways. First, by generously supporting this project. 25 cents prints one book, $2,500 prints 10,000, and so on. Second, by helping us distribute the booklet through your parish, your school, or the pro-life ministry you work with. Catholic Answers is going to blanket the country with why we're pro-life, but only if you step up and help us. Thank you so much. For more information, visit whyweareprolife.com. Here's a question. Is it really possible to be friends with someone who died 2,000 years ago? Maybe the problem is that we've grown way too comfortable with the story of Jesus. Nice man, right? Taught us to love one another, said not to judge people. We celebrate his birthday every year. It's time to put away this small, safe version of Jesus, says Cy Kellett. Nobody that bland could have transformed the world. In a teacher of strange things, Cy presents Jesus Christ undiluted by sentiment, with all his radical words and deeds uncensored. Do you know someone, your son or daughter perhaps, or maybe your mom or dad, who needs the friendship of Jesus Christ? 
Do you? Order your copy of A Teacher of Strange Things by visiting shop.catholic.com today or asking for it at a good Catholic bookstore near you. Welcome back. Catholic Answers Live. I'm Cy Kelly, your host. John Martinoni is our guest this hour, doing some Bible apologetics. If you have apologetics questions related to passages of the Bible or maybe a Catholic teaching that you'd like to find the support for in the Bible, you are welcome to call 888-318-7884. Susan, Horizon City, Texas. Uh, asking about the idea of uh, who, why we need a priest to forgive sins. Uh, if I understand correctly, uh, uh, either of you can correct me if I'm getting this wrong, but the reason that we need a priest to forgive sins is that Jesus specifically uh, was talking to his, uh, his own apostles when he gave that uh, forgiving power, and they handed it on through laying on of hands. Is that, am, am I right about the question, Susan? Yeah, yeah. Okay, good. Okay. Here, here's the thing. Yes, when he's talking, uh, you know, the Sermon on the Mount, or, or any other sermon, and he's talking to people, he's just, he's, uh, he's not doing anything that is conferring authority on them. He's just, uh, uh, he's just, he's talking to them. He's teaching them. So he's, he's not ordaining them, as we would say in, in today's parlance. He's just, uh, uh, you know, he's, he's teaching. When he's talking to the apostles in John 20, he's saying, whosoever, you know, he breathes on them, says, receive the Holy Spirit. And he gives them the authority to, to uh, um, forgive or retain sins. And it's very important, a, a distinction in James chapter 5. He's talking about verse 14, is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. The elders of the church are essentially the priests and the bishops, okay? And let them pray over him, anointing him with oil. So there's the anointing of the sick. Prayer of the faith will save the sick man. Uh, he will be, and he, if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Forgive it. And then it says, therefore, confess your sins to one another. The whole context there is first call for the elders, those who have had the hands, hands laid on them through which authority and power is conveyed. And we see that, you know, Paul talking to Timothy. He talks about the, the authority, the power, the gifts you have received through the laying on of hands. So that's the distinction between the the ordained priesthood and just the regular folks out there who even if they're in a state of grace or the protestants would say even if they're saved they haven't been given this authority through the laying on of hands does that help you out yeah you know some of them think they do have that authority and and i that i mean they're wrong well, they yes, think that wrong. because they're i mean, saved, I mean that's why like, yeah yeah, that's like Lutheran priests think they have the authority to turn the, the bread and wine into the body and blood of Jesus Christ. So they think that, that's part of their theology, but they don't have that authority because they're priests. They broke the line of authority with the Catholic Church. And then, you know, you can ask, uh, you know, your friends who think they've got this authority, say, well, 
who laid hands on you? And then who laid hands on that person? And who laid hands on it? Can you trace your authority, the, the authority you think you have, back to the first century and to the apostles and Jesus Christ? Because if you can't do that, then you really don't have that authority because the authority came from Jesus through the apostles. Susan, thank you uh, very much. appreciate the question. I'm going to keep moving because lots of folks want to talk with John Martinoni. There's just one line open, as a matter of fact. Uh, you're welcome to fill it if you'd like, 888-318-7884. We'll go to Bill in Calgary, Canada, watching on Facebook. Bill, we're glad you're here. Go ahead with your question for John Martinoni. Hello, Father. Um, I just wanted to ask uh, how to reconcile two things that seem to clash for me. Um, the immutability of God in that he can't uh, be affected by us in any way, and the references to the wrath of God in, scri- in Scripture, and um, maybe even like his offense in the, the Fatima apparitions that was referenced as well. Okay. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. First thing is, uh, something I, I, I alluded to earlier is our human language suffers when it comes to describing God, the things of God, the characteristics of God, so forth and so on. So, but the best we can do is describe him in our terms uh, based on our own limited, finite understanding. So that, that's one thing to keep in mind. The other thing to keep in mind is that God doesn't change. He's, like you said, he's immutable. So for every moment of time as we um, go through it, as we experience it, God has already, his reaction, his feeling, his, his whatever you want to call, um, has already been decided from all of time. So he's not changing. That's how he's been from all of time in this moment of what we would call time. And, and it's, we, it's very difficult to wrap our, our minds around, but God is the absolute same because he is in the eternal present. So God is the same always. And so when, when we would say, well, he's changing, and well, no, he's not. He's been that way at that moment of, of our, what we experience as time forever. He hasn't changed. Um, and, and I don't know, I, I'm not a philosophy major. Philosophy is my, my weak point. So I, I don't know if I'm doing a, a very good job of, of explaining that. But uh, um, for every situation that man can ever come up with, you know, God has already responded in, in his way from all of eternity. Uh, that's why in the Old Testament, David talks, he's, he's asking God, he's praying to God, you know, he's running away from Saul, and he's praying to God. He says, well, I'm going to go down to this town. And, and God says, well, if you go down there, you will die. So David doesn't go down there. Okay, well, God had for all of eternity, if David had gone down there, God knew what was going to happen from all of eternity. And everything he's doing, he's done, it's in his eternal presence. So he doesn't change 
even though for us things are changing, God is not changing at all. Everything he does, he's done, he's in the eternal present. It's been from all of eternity. Does, does that make sense, or did I just confuse you more? Confused uh, more is just awesome in in the way that we can't ever really grasp it, but it's it's there. Yeah. You know, you and, know, and you know, he has to be outside of time. Always, yeah, God being outside of time, us being in time, and not having any kind of concept of what it's like to not be in time makes it very difficult for us to to kind of wrap our our minds around god and the things of god and, and so there is that tension yeah and you know and you've got the tension between god's omniscience and our free will well if god already knows what we're going to do then we don't really have free will but no we have free will just god knows what we're going to do so there are these several areas where there's that kind of tension between us and our human experience and what we know of god and what we can understand of god uh, Bill, uh, thanks very much. Appreciate the question. I'm really enjoying doing a little bit of uh, Bible apologetics. Uh, you, you, you found uh, uh, John Martinoni are, is our guest. John, you found that uh, where you live, uh, you live where there's very few Catholics. So you have to justify Catholic beliefs to others or explain uh, or give a basis for Catholic beliefs that come from the Bible because nothing else is going to work there. So that's how you, you kind of had to master this uh, technique of explaining the Catholic faith. Is that right? Yes. It's kind of like, you know, some people, well, these people like Coors beer. Nothing else will satisfy. Yeah. These other people like some other beer. Nothing else will satisfy. Some people are scotch drinkers. Nothing else will satisfy. Well, with Protestants, it's got to come from the Bible. Nothing else will satisfy. You can't use tradi sacred tradition and, and, and papal encyclicals and, and, and all that kind of thing, because that doesn't satisfy them. It's, no, where is it in the Bible? So that's, yeah, that's how I had to cut my teeth in apologetics was, okay, well, I'll, I'll find it and I'll tell you where it is in the Bible. Uh, and you're welcome to call with your questions if you have that kind of a question, a where is that in the Bible type uh, question, how do Catholics justify that given what the Bible says? 888-318-7884 is our number. I'm going to Juan now in San Antonio, Texas, listening on Guadalupe Radio. Juan, go ahead with your question for John Martinoni. Hi, thanks, Cy. Um, thank you for having me, and thank you to John Martinoni for being on with us. Uh, my question was uh, related to uh, refuting the kind of like Martin Luther's like sola fide uh, uh, from a Catholic perspective, how, you know, where we where we back up the the fact that uh, maybe saved by works and faith, uh, or if we or if we at the core do believe in kind of saved by faith or uh, faith in Jesus Christ or in you know, the gospel. Well, what I tell people, I say. Um, you know, Galatians 5, verse 6, is a, a good, not a perfect, but a good summary, a quick summary. You know, Protestants say, well, all you have to do is accept Jesus into your heart as your personal Lord and Savior, you're saved. And that, that's their salvation theology right there. So, and people say, oh, Catholic theology on salvation is so difficult to understand, to explain. It's so, there's so much impact in it. Go to Galatians 5, mm -hmm. verse 6, and it says, For in Christ Jesus, 
neither circumcision nor uncircumcision is of any avail. In other words, it's not of any use. But faith working through love. Okay? That's a, a, mm. a good summation of Catholic salvation theology. Now, but with the understanding that what's underlying the faith working through love is the grace of God. I, what I tell people, Catholic and Protestant alike believe we are saved by God's grace alone. We're not saved by works. We're not saved by faith. Okay? We're saved by mm. God's grace. Then, once we're baptized and receive God's saving grace through baptism, and, and let's say we're baptized and, you know, we grow to be an adult, we can lose that salvation that has been freely given to us by sinning, either sins of omission, where we didn't feed the hungry, clothe the naked, etc., etc., or sins of commission, where we, we steal, we cheat, we murder, uh, we, we commit adultery. So we can lose what God has freely given us. So we're not really saved by faith or works. It's once we're saved by God's grace, God sort of demands a, a response of faith and works. It's, uh, it's like uh, if you're given a Christmas present and you just leave it sitting under the tree— for the next month, two months, six months, year, five years, that Christmas present does you absolutely no good. Same with God's grace. God gives you this grace through baptism, and you do nothing with it. And so you don't apply it to your life. And in that sense, then God says, all right, you don't want it? I'm taking it back. Because you, you sin. You know, again, sins of omission or commission. You're not following the will of God for your life. So you, you sin, you lose your salvation. Um, some things that I do, though, to refute with Protestants, I'll tell them, I said, look, let me ask you a question. Does love have anything to do with your salvation? And they'll, go, they'll go, what do you mean? I said, well, for example, do you have to love God in order to be saved? And they're like, well, yeah. I said, oh, so faith alone isn't faith alone. It's faith plus love save you. Because it, it, what's, what pe most people don't realize, in the definition of salvation by faith alone, faith alone saves you. Love has nothing to do with your salvation. So I tell Protestants, I say, by your theology, I don't have to love God. I don't have to love my fellow man. And I can be saved as long as I accept Jesus into my heart as my personal Lord and Savior. And they'll go, well, but if you truly are saved, you'll love God. I'll say, well, where does it say that in the Bible? I said, but I can still be saved first before I ever love God. All I have to do is to believe Jesus died for me on the cross. And they're, they're like, well, no. Uh, but it's like, yeah, salvation by faith alone doesn't work. And then 1 Corinthians thirteen thirteen, I tell them, I said, what's it say? Uh, faith, hope, and love abide these three, and the greatest of these is faith. And the Protestant goes, no, no, the greatest of these is love. I go, yeah, how is that? I said, if the best thing that could ever happen to you is to be in heaven forever with God. And the only way you can do that is through faith alone. How come love is greater than faith? It should be the other way around. 
So just little things like that where you ask questions like that that people haven't thought of before, they haven't looked at it this way, you, you plant seeds. And that, that's what it's all about. Because I tell people, I said, you don't convert anybody. The Holy Spirit's the one who converts people. Our job is to throw the seeds out there and hope, hope they land on good soil and then pray for the Holy Spirit to do his job. Uh, all right, Juan, that all good for you? That was awesome. Thank you so much. I'm in a Bible study with a Protestant, and I'm uh, kind of working. We're, we're working through Galatians, so when we oh. come up to that verse, we'll I'll, I'll work that in. Thank you. Oh, you're very welcome. You're all set now, Juan. Uh, thanks very much uh, for the call. Uh, we've got more calls for John Martinoni, but we've got a, a line open if you would like to ask a question. We're doing Bible apologetics with John Martinoni this hour. Eight 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 three one eight seven eight eight four. This is Archbishop Paul Coakley, the Archdiocese of Oklahoma City, and you're listening to Catholic Answers Live. Do you love praying for people? Have you ever wanted to use your gift of prayer to share Jesus with others and build up the body of Christ? Start a public prayer station with St. Paul Street Evangelization. Listen to people's needs, pray with them, or invite them to meet you at church. St. Paul Street Evangelization can help you get started. Find out how at streetevangelization.com. That's streetevangelization.com. The most original and exclusive Catholic content is on EWTN Radio. I think EWTN News Nightly is beneficial in a number of ways. Not only do we provide the news of the day, but also thoughtful analysis on important issues. That's all viewed from the lens of a Catholic perspective, something you will not find in mainstream media. EWTN News Nightly with Tracy Sable. Tonight, 9 Eastern on EWTN Television and Radio. Welcome back to Catholic Answers Live. I'm Cy Kellett, your host. John Martinoni is our guest, and we're very grateful for that fact. He's been doing Bible apologetics for a long, long time and uh, very good at it, and maybe you'd like some help doing that. Maybe there's uh, someone in the family or someone at work who has challenges for you regarding the Catholic faith and the Bible. Perfect time to call, 888-318-7884. I'm going to go to Covington, Kentucky. Art's in Covington, Kentucky, listening on Sacred Heart Radio. Art, thanks for the call. Go ahead with your question for John Martinoni. Well, thank you. Thank you for taking my call. Thank you for being able to speak for the the Catholic Church. My question is about the devil. We we know he was created before uh, Adam and Eve. And my basic question is, is God, what does the church say about, is God stopping the devil from asking for forgiveness? Uh, the devil, I mean, the Bible at point says the uh, devil was the brightest angel. But, and I think it says the smartest, one of the smartest beings created by God. If he's so smart, why don't he ask forgiveness from God? What does the church say about that? Well, basically, I mean, to answer the first question, no, God isn't stopping the devil from confessing his sins. It's just, yes, the devil is is 
probably God's brightest confession, smartest uh, confession, smartest uh, creature, creation, say perhaps for for the Virgin Mary. Um, uh, But his pride is greater than his intelligence. And the thing is, is uh, what the church says is that Satan knew as much as as he could possibly know, uh, uh, other than you know having the uh, uh, beatific vision, but uh, he he was so smart, and even with all those smarts, he decided no, I am not going to serve, you know, and and it's it's I'm not gonna not that he wouldn't serve God. But he wouldn't serve man. The angels were created to serve man and, and to help man in his journey. And Satan's like, no, these creatures are below me. I will not serve. And so he made his decision. And it's an irrevocable decision because he had all the facts before him that he needed. And those facts haven't changed. And so now, instead of thinking, hey, I'm really suffering, I'm really hurting, you know, here in hell, um, he's, his attitude is, uh-uh, I hate God, I'm going to curse God, and by golly, I'm going to do everything I can to keep as many people from God as possible. And that's, that's his mission now. You know, and Scripture says Satan is roaming the earth like a lion looking for prey. Um, he's looking to devour people. And so he's not going to confess his sins, just like after we die. Once we die, and if we die in a state of mortal sin, we have made our decision. We have rejected God, and we die in that state. Well, that's an irrevocable decision because now that we, we're, you know, our, we're, our spirit has separated from our body, well, what's our spirit doing? The last thing we want to see when we are dead and died in a state of mortal sin is God. Because think of it. If you, let's say you're, you know, go back to your high school days. If you lied to somebody about your best friend and then you, your best friend found out that you had lied about him and, and, said, and had said nasty things about him behind his back, who is the last person you want to see when you go to the homecoming dance? Is your best friend. You don't want to see him because you know you've lied about him. You've wounded him. You've hurt him, and he's the last person you want to be around. Well, take that feeling and multiply it by a million to the millionth power or more, and that's how the soul who dies in a state of mortal sin feels about being in front of the throne of God. That's the last place he wants to be because now he's, he's rejected God, and so he's going to start blaming God for all of his problems, for all of his pain, for all of his troubles, uh, for all of his woe and misery, and, and he's not going to confess. He's going to complain. He's going to blame. He's going to hate, and that's exactly the, the state the devil is in. Does that make sense? God doesn't change. Why does the devil have to? Why can't? Why? Why does the devil uh, be in a position not to change? Why wouldn't God give him the graces to change? Well, he's rejected the graces. You know, that's just uh, that's that's on the devil. It's not on God. Uh, the devil has made his decision. 
you know, I mean, again, you could ask the same thing uh, basically about, okay, well, why after we die can't we, con- can't we confess and repent? Uh, it's because, you know, there, there's a good book by C.S. Lewis about uh, uh, the bus trip to heaven. I can't think of the name of it right offhand. But it talks about the souls in hell. They don't love anymore. They, they hate. They despise. They're, they're not in a their, – their mindset their, is not one of, oh, I'm hurting. I, I hurt God. I'm so sorry. Their mindset is, I blame God for this. It's his fault. I, I hate him. And so when you have that mindset, you are not going to confess. You are not going to repent because you're blaming God for where you are. So you're not, you're not blaming yourself. And that's what you have to do. You have to look at yourself in order to confess and to repent. You have to realize something's wrong with me, and the devil doesn't do that. Uh, Art, I'm going to leave it there because i got to get as many on as I can, and I realize time is running out. Bob in Portland, Oregon, listening on Modern Day Radio, if you can be extremely quick with the question, we can get you an answer. Was that a question when Christ died on the cross and he told the thief next to him that this day you will be in paradise with me? Yet it also says in the Apostles' Creed that Christ descended into hell for three days. How does that reconcile? Well, you have to understand that um, there's uh, temporal time and there's God's time. And God is in the eternal present. God lives in one day. He lives in one minute, one second. He's in the eternal present. So every day for God is the same day. Scripture tells us in in 1 Peter, uh, a day for God is as a thousand years, a thousand years is a day. So this day to God is, you know, it's not necessarily a 24-hour day. It's, It's eternity for God. And so you know, that's how we can reconcile it. Plus, also, there were people who I've read things where people said, well, you know, when uh, um, the good thief died, he went to what's called Abraham's bosom, which would be, you know, not hell, but the outer outer reaches of hell where they're not necessarily suffering, but they can't get into heaven yet, these souls of the righteous from the Old Testament, because Jesus hasn't been resurrected and opened the gates of heaven. So they some people call that paradise, but you know either either way, one day for God is it's the only day for God. Thank you for being quick with the question. I really do appreciate it. It gave uh, John Martinoni a chance to answer it. And John Martinoni, thanks for doing the show with us. I know uh, you, you answered the call on short notice, and we're really grateful because it's great to have you here. Well, it's, it's my pleasure, Cy. I always enjoy being on with you guys on on Catholic Answers Live. Uh, Well, I hope we'll do it again soon then. Uh, I do too. Coming up next, two moms, two Catholic media personalities. They wrote a book about bringing your kids back to the faith. We'll talk to them next on Catholic Answers Live.